HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit surreyfarms.com. Hey, and welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. I already know I'm going to have a good day. <laughs> I already know this is going to be a riot. This is going to be one of my favorite shows for a while. You say that to everyone. Michael. Oh, no, no. Listen to the archives. It's not true. No, this I'm, I'm smitten already, and we just met. <laughs> we did. Libby Summers, thank you for being on Thanks for having the me. Show. So there, there's so much to talk about um, when we were emailing back and forth. Uh, you have this series of videos, which I'm just kind of enamored by right now, for your latest cookbook, mm-hmm. Sweet and Vicious, out by Rizzoli now. But we'll get to that eventually, and we'll get to all the actions that led up to those action videos. Uh-oh. But you're a Midwesterner. I was trying to figure you out because in, in your bios, you said, you know, I live in Savannah. I was a yacht chef. So you felt very global. But I, I want to I know... Your origins, your heritage. In the heritage. middle of nowhere, Michael. <laughs> a teeny, teeny town. Yeah. Tell me about, I mean, was it farmland, agrarian, rural? No, well, I grew up in a place called Wentzville, Missouri, which is about 40 minutes west of St. Louis. Right now, sadly, it's one strip center after the next, right? Straight out to Wentzville. But it used to be a lot more rural. My maternal grandparents had a hog farm in Moberly, Missouri, where I spent a lot of time. So there, that's where all the farming and pigs and everything started out there because i loved it i'd rather be there than anywhere else so i know you say hog farm and we'll get to that too because <laughs> i know of your book what is the whole hog, the whole cookbook. hog cookbook and you know that that sounds like a book about butchering a pig and you know using its primal parts in a specific way but you're not a specific person. You, you're no. very creative. I took a lot of heat because that book wasn't about butchery. Yeah. You know, it's a, I say it's a, it's a pork for chicks book. It's like a girly, how do we get into these different 
cuts of the of the pig and what to do with them. So, yeah, well, and have fun with it. Again, that 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 fun. I mean, if you haven't picked it up from this banter, <laughs> you you're certainly a fun person. But it, you call yourself a culinary producer, um, but you really wear a lot of hats. You know, growing up in that rural environment around the pigs. What were your likes and interests? Were, were you always a food person or were you always a, an artist? Um, I think probably maybe a little bit of both. I mean, I remember being, I mean, I remember being sent out to pick potatoes because we had them just about at every meal and, and playing in the dirt and making designs in the dirt. So like while you're picking and making designs, so it goes both ways, I guess, yeah. right? So I think both, but probably more on the creative side. And the food is just, you know, part of that avenue of creativity because it's not just about food. I mean, were me. you like a, what is it, Close Encounters, you know, potato sculpture, play with your food kind of <laughs> it person? wasn't that crazy, <laughs> but close. Yeah, I was digging to China. Yeah. So picking potatoes, uh, did you then cook those potatoes with your family what or were you more a field person I'm more of a field person i'd come in um my grandmother since there were so many grandkids my mother's one of seven siblings so there was a million grandchildren so to get like two seconds with grandma who was cigarette smoking crazy i loved her to death hair changing color by the day um to get like a second with her was really special and because she was a wonderful cook not a good baker but a great cook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love the preface of your book because, what do you start? Betty Crocker is boring. Betty Crocker was a bore. <laughs> that is... <laughs> Tell me more. I just I just want to hear that whole situation. What kind of rants, what kind of diatribes did your grandma go on about Any this? Anything that had to do with baking um, was not her forte. She did not keep flour out on the counter. Um I even mentioned in the book, I didn't realize until many years later when she was like fingering around the flower with her it, that she was looking for weevils. I had no idea that that's actually that she was looking for bugs in her flower because she <laughs> used it so little, unless to make a gravy. She was making a roux, then maybe the flower would come out. But um, if anyone would give Grandma any advice about cooking, there was some bitching that would go on <laughs> with it. So that was part of it. Well, in Betty Crocker's cookbook, Betty Crocker was a bore. Like, so that was just part of it. But that, that instilled a fear in you because you didn't want to be a bore. No. No. So, so what did you do to, you know, dis Betty Crocker rise yourself? I just, I think I elevated it and, and never was afraid of anything. I mean, I'll try, I hope people try new recipes when somebody comes over. I don't care about somebody being, this person might not like it and this person's going to like it. And it's just not being afraid. And I think if you grew up in that kind of environment, you had to learn to not be afraid. So what did you learn other than ruse, uh, supposedly, with your grandmother? Um, a lot of pork roast cooking, a lot of that kind of like home cooking. She made a fabulous chocolate cake that was in my first book that um, I learned from her. But I think it's just... You know, there was never a recipe on the counter, just using everything from the herb garden. I mean, it was really... I hate when Midwestern and Southern cooking gets a bad rap about everything being fried. And it's really clean, fresh flavors in a lot of ways, especially if you're, you know, growing up on a farm. So, Well, I mean, then tell me more about those regional dishes, because even though my wife's from Michigan, uh, aside from what we cook, it's hard sometimes to find... You know, those free, you know, clean, fresh flavors. Well, you know, it's just what you do. I think 
they cook a little bit, cook them a little bit more than they should. But you know, it's my grandmother knew nothing about France, but I always knew her to pick radish out of the ground and dip it in butter. So it's just these kind of let's you know handing me a radish, my grandfather, and trying that one versus that one on how hot it was, and and they would laugh, you know, to try and make you cry with how hot it was. So it's just stuff like that. It's just wonderful, earthy, clean flavors of what's coming from that soil, and that's what I do today. Yeah. So I mean, did this palate? Did it make you want to explore? You know, food through education, uh, not really work. No. So no. what did you do prior to jumping on a yacht? <laughs> Um, I worked in, well, I went to school and studied uh, industrial engineering, so I'm very well organized, Michael. <laughs> uh, I, and <laughs> I have a math background, so I am you get it. D, yeah. Yeah, you get it. When I'm on a shoot, I am a super oh, organized, yeah. so I use it all the time. Um, just had my own little coffee cart in Vail, Colorado. You know, in college, I used to, I worked for Anheuser-Busch for a little bit and, and just got kind of the bug of the restaurant business and but didn't ever want to work for someone else's restaurant i knew that and um started my own thing then went into yachts and found myself on the set of a martha stewart show once just making these christmas balls all lined up with exactly the amount of space between them thousands of balls michael lined (laughs) up with space in between them and looked across the studio and saw these people having a great time and asked what they were and they were food stylists and I came home that day and said I'm going to be a food stylist because they were having a great time and they were working with food. I mean didn't you feel like you were already doing that on the yacht? I was you do every day you're throwing a party every meal is a party so you're designing a party you're you're going out and getting, um, you know, sea grape leaves as a charger for your plates. You know, it's just working with what you have that's natural. And, you know, so you're, you're always designing something. And you mainly floated around the Caribbean. Yes. What, what kind of, you know, flora? Because you, you mentioned these grape leaves. What kind of, you know, like native things did you kind of bring to the table? Anything that you could that was blooming, um, I mean, very rarely was there ever like a shell or something that cheesy on the table. (laughs) It was always (laughs) going out and just getting grape leaves or little pieces of wood. If you're going for a walk, there's a lot of, it's not even driftwood, but just really beautiful small pieces of wood and just doing centerpieces with that and, and hibiscus and, you know, things that you might just see growing and just bringing it back to the yacht and making something special out of it, at least making the guests feel like they are very special, which is what it's all about. And serving it to some rich guy in a dinka, in the the little Speedo. In the Speedo, (laughs) bitching about something. I know. Well, (laughs) bitching, but at the same time, you want them over. Uh, The the, the kind of head note for the carrot habanero cake, it's actually in the intro of Sweet and Vicious, about how you can just make a carrot cake if someone requests it, or you can push we were in very bad seas. I remember it like it was yesterday, and I was strapped in. Like, in the galley sometimes in a sailboat, you have to be strapped in. Even though the, the oven is gimbaled, you know, your body isn't gimbaled, so, so you don't get thrown all over. Um, I was strapped in. I remember that he wanted said cake, because I had started it before it got really rough. And then the bad thing was is he wanted an espresso in the middle of this. <laughs> Now you're just an asshole asking for an espresso, <laughs> right? So, 
um, finished up the cake, handed him his espresso, and just I hoped upon hope that, you know, we'd hit a wave or something and it would land in the right spot, and it did. <laughs> so, you know, the gods were <laughs> looking at That's what you see. Yeah. In my head, I thought you were doing, like, affogato style, like it hit no. the nooks and crannies of the cake. No. No, Michael. It yeah. d- hit his nooks and crannies. Yeah. <laughs> He had a great time, and he turned out to be a really great guy. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yacht life. Well, I'm going to have to do a whole episode. You, Jane to. Coxwell. Yes. I, I found a few yacht chefs, and it's just a fascinating thing because as, you know, international as it seems, you're just it's not. on one space all the time, yeah. constricted to that. And I signed a lot of confidentiality agreements, though. I don't... If we don't use names, can we talk about it still? We can, we can even change your voice if okay. you want. Yeah, we can do one of those. We can pixelate my voice? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> We're on radio. No one knows what you look no like. This is, this is as close to witness relocation program as you're going to get. Seeing, in my head right now, I have this picture of this giant yacht coming up and you seeing that Martha Stewart shoot and wanting to become a food stylist. How do you take those necessary steps? I started doing everything I could for free. I went to my local magazine, the South Magazine, this really cool magazine. As a matter of fact, they're having their 50th issue right now, and I did a little piece. They interviewed me because they gave me my first job. Yeah. And I lied, and I went online and made myself like a food stylist kit that just has so much crap in it that I never use now as a real food stylist. <laughs> but I, you know, wheeled it in, and I was going to style a burger. One of the hardest things. Oh, yeah. Michael, you know, to style, that was the first thing I styled. And I keep that burger in my portfolio. It's, I mean, I've since gone on to style burger commercials and stuff, but I keep that first burger because it just makes me smile every time I look at it. And it wasn't that bad. It's kind of bad in a lot of ways, but it wasn't terrible. See, I, I want to see that burger. I'm going to send it yeah, to yeah. you. <laughs> but I also want to know what you thought should be in a food stylist kit. What did you have that just... Girl, I went online. <laughs> I had every brush size that you wanted, every spritz bottle, every you can imagine. Guns, of, you know, heat guns, non-heat guns, and just crazy stuff that I never use. Like, I, I remember cutting out, and I do this in between pancakes. Um, I always put a thin layer of cardboard because it keeps those edges a little bit stiff when you need a nice stack of pancakes. Um... I did that for the burger in between that and the cheese. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It took like four hours to get one editorial burger. It wasn't like it was a commercial. I remember the day of like hot lights too. Yeah. Things would melt under that. And like for cheese, cutting out the perfect little drip of cheese. Because you wouldn't put a whole piece of cheese on. You just do the edges. And then people would want to eat, and you're like, no, don't touch that. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't ever touch it. I mean, I don't ever do anything bad. I very rarely use... I mean, I use a little bit of oil, a little bit of water. Now, I mean, everything is much more natural, even on commercial shoots. I mean, you've seen that change in food photography as well. And yeah. I, I jokingly call what I do sustainable food photography. That is Because we, we try to eat everything and, t- <laughs> you know, repurpose everything on set. But, you know, 10 years ago, it wasn't like that. You couldn't, I guess. No. I don't I haven't been doing it that long. Yeah. So how many years have you that actually... That was like six years ago, was Jeez, it? You, yeah. You look at... Your pedigree now, and it seems like you've been doing this your whole life. Does I'm, it feel like that to you? I'm kind of good at it. Yeah. Is <laughs> that horrible to say? No, not It just at all. came easy. Yeah. So it, you know, I work and I work with great photographers. You know, I'd love to work with you sometime. Like, well, we need it. to do something. Well, I actually wanted to touch on that point because I don't think people realize how important collaboration is. Ugh. And who is it? Uh, Sia Chong. Chia Chong, Chia Chong. Is, is the primary photographer I work with, and she is. 
she's fantastic. Like, there's just this wonderful thoughtfulness that she has. And, Michael, we've worked long enough now together. We do our blog, Salted and Style, together that when people come in, when we're not laughing and talking, there's just silence because we just know what each other's thinking. If the, if the shot's working, if it's not, if a background needs to change, if a surface needs to change, if... Like, it's just so wonderful, and we don't take anything personally. I know that she works with other stylists, and she laughs because if she reaches to, like, touch the food, they lose their mind or something. And I'm like, please, touch, do anything you want. You know, just, it's a collaboration. It's going to be better. So um, she's a joy to work with. And it started out, I mean, she's from Malaysia, went to school at SCAD. That's how we met in Savannah. I love SCAD. uh, SCAD's a cool school, and... um, she didn't speak a whole... I thought she hated me when we first started working together. We laugh about it all the time. She she just didn't. Now she won't shut up, so... <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick shut up and come right back. Talk about Salted and Styled. You've cool. been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here again with Libby Summers, just a natural food stylist. Just a natural. (laughs) It happens. (laughs) Salted and styled, uh, you know, though, though a personal, well, you said you don't date, you don't take it personally, is a very personal thing to Mm -hmm. you and, uh, is it? Chia. Chia. Chia Chong. Chia Chong. Um, Lately, single subject topics like seaweed coconut cinnamon with great art by the way who's who's that illustrator oh my gosh Catherine sando is amazing another scad graduate um the master she went to mount holyoke undergrad but um used to teach at scad as well we're so fortunate to have her she i mean i'm i'm blessed that i have one of her paintings hanging in my home and it brings me great joy to look at it every day and for her to offer her art up to us with each subject that we approach on salted and style because salted and style is about food inspired living it's not just about recipes how does this seaweed inspire you through fashion and floral design and art and just interior design and so i mean what you're really trying to do is set a scene yes from ground up, from you know the the core to the food to the ambiance to mm-hmm. to the people too. It yes, seems. I mean, exactly. It looks like the way you throw parties are very curated. Um, they are. I love that you said yeah. that. They are because you know flipping through this book, there there are many pages where you not only see a recipe, but you see where that recipe exists and in what part of the world and you know mm-hmm. what what kind of time and place and mm-hmm. you want to be there. Yeah. How how important is that to you? It's very important with um with Sweet and Vicious, the new book, like I 
it's not just it's not as important for me to for someone to say I want to make that recipe um, when someone says to me I want to go home and bake I know that I've changed them from as Billy Graham said having to be to be to believing and then to having faith like that they want to go home and do something different it's not just about oh i just want to make that cinnamon roll yeah that's my first billy graham quote on yeah. there i love it because <laughs> I, I was what's, what's this i don't think it was a quote yeah yeah well i mean yeah. tammy faye his that's a whole that's nother. tammy faye baker that's not the same oh okay that's my bad I'm a northerner. Get your Baptist right. <laughs> I think Baptist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, influencing someone in that way to to not only just not stray away from a recipe, but just take some of the challenges on of cooking without restriction. Yes. It's important. It is important. And, and I love the idea of not just not inspiring a meal just on a flavor like think about the side of a pecan michael and this the black striae and what what's that do i mean my mind is insane like i <laughs> i write this stuff down constantly i will be on a train and think about something crazy or but i see it as a whole event it's not just about the food that's on the table although the food is so important to the event being successful um it's about everything that's going on so i might take that black striae well what's gonna happen with that is it gonna is it going to be informed in what I might be wearing that evening or how I might set that table or is it about you know the pecan shells that I'm going to use to smoke something on the meal it's just everything kind of intertwined you know also in your book you mentioned you know being sentimental yes no that's not a bad thing no you know and it doesn't have to be a huge story it can be one little thing like, you're good in plenty cupcakes. You you were the odd one. <laughs> you were the American kid that liked licorice. I know. Black licorice. Yeah. <laughs> Not just red licorice. Yeah. That's it. And my parents would bring a box home every time. When they went to the movie, I tell the story in the book, when they went to the movie, it was a big deal because I got to see my mom and dad go out. And my mother was a natural beauty. And to see her get all dressed up and... Sadly, I was stuck with my two older sisters who were horrible to me. But other than that, <laughs> but I knew when I woke up in the next morning, there would be sometimes two boxes of Good and Plenty's there if I was lucky. Always one, but sometimes two. And I don't know what my sisters ate, but I always got the Good and Plenty's because I love them. And now I did. There's a cupcake in the book that's an anise-flavored cupcake that has this wonderful Swiss buttercream, and it's topped with a couple of Good and Plenty's. So it gives you that kind of sweet that's on the outside of a good and plenty and then that light kind of anise flavor that black licorice flavor inside and the image itself just of you piping on you know the finishing touches of that it's it's, you know again it's a time and place Mm -hmm. and you want to be there watching that person do that (laughs) so they're they're not only and i have metallic pants on and uh... (laughs) well you want to talk about what you're wearing let's let's talk about the fairground yeah what oh, is yeah. that called? The Fairground Attraction Fairground Cake. Fairground Attraction Cake. We went to... I just saw that vision. Well, I love the band Fairground Attraction, first of all. But um, I saw that vision of that cake happening at a carnival because I loved going to carnivals when I was little because I was attracted by all the carnies that worked there and just their craziness. So we went to shoot that. I was kind of in a... look like a French mime. And um, we went to shoot it at a local fair that was happening that happened to be going on in Savannah at the time. 
brought the cake in, topped it, because that cake is, it shows that you can just make the greatest vanilla cake with all these layers of wonderful vanilla flavor with the vanilla sugar and, and the vanilla paste that you're using. But when you top it with, you know, 18 inches of blue cotton candy on top, I mean, that's what makes it special. Michael, two hours after we left, there was like a shooting at that fair. Yes. (laughs) We barely got out with the cake. (laughs) But we had some beautiful pictures of the sun setting over the midway. And yeah, it's a scene. It's thinking about that carnival cake. Yeah. And again, what were you wearing? I was in a, I had a blue beret and a white face with, (laughs) I was in mine face. Yeah. might have been. Suspenders. So you put yourself in. In character when you make food, when you bake. Yes. Maybe not always completely costumed, but in my head I am. Yeah. So what was Bridge and Tunnel Cheesecake for you? Where were you? Who were you? Oh, I was here in the city. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to do a cheesecake that it's a little bit more decadent maybe than a New York cheesecake, even though it has that much cream cheese. I mean, I have eight, I have 64 ounces of cream cheese in my cheesecake yeah this book is not for the faint of heart no but you have like little pieces and i will tell you this michael this is the truth in most of the frostings there's probably two cups less sugar than most people use in a frosting because i love like the habanero carrot cake i want you to taste the habanero and the fresh carrots and the fresh pineapple in it and not just have the crazy sweetness of frosting on top of it i mean it's there but it's not as sweet, so let's just, I preach a little bit of less sugar and take a smaller portion and work out. <laughs> Don't just bake through this book and not leave your house. You, I gained you gotta, 15 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like the freshman 15. You know, each yeah. cookbook, it happens, and sometimes I do multiple at a time, and I, I worry which way I'll range. Yeah, this one so, was a little bit bigger. Yeah, I'm, I'm usually the opposite. I lose weight during the winter because I'm not working on cookbooks. Okay. <laughs> But I, I'm going to gain some if I start making your one, two, one potato, two potato, three potato rolls. Oh, those are good. I made them for Easter. Meatball muffins. Oh, my God. So that's a total dude's muffin. And you don't have to use my meatball recipe. Like, you can use your grandmother's meatball recipe. But the idea of doing putting it in a dough that has the sauce in it already and putting it in a muffin tin and like it is a meal. It's like a little salad on the side and you basically you've had your hot sandwich right there, but it's in a muffin form. And for the ladies, the majorette biscuit, the majorette biscotti, biscotti. Yeah. I like really long biscotti, yeah. like crazy long. They're 18 inches long. Cause I like to twirl them. Cause yeah. I dream of being a majorette, which I never was, yeah. but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I have batons. Yeah. I'm so, you have edible batons. <laughs> You know, we don't have much time left, but we talked about action at the top of the show and how important that is. And you have this series of videos annotating the book. There's yes. that little orange bicycle. Yes. It says, go online, click it, watch it. Michael, it says, take a ride on over take to LibbySummers.com. But how important is motion to you? You know, being a photographer, still photographer, I, I'm only getting back into video now, and it's a completely different thought process motion is very i think more in motion than i think in still so um adding there's there are 15 videos that go along with this book so every time you see that little orange bike on on a recipe it will take you to a video and it's not there are some how to's but more of them are little short inspirational films that so i wanted to bring these things a lot to life these recipes that have these wonderful stories with them 
and I wanted you to see them in a motion way because that's a lot of what I do for a living. I will do more culinary producing in motion right now than I do still. So um, I just, I love it. And, and we didn't spend a lot of money. We went out with one shooter. It was just they're these little creative videos. And it just goes to show you for your own blogs and whatever you have out there, you don't have to spend a lot of money to have good content. It's being creative. Sweden Vicious, check out the cookbook trailer on LibbySummers.com. Just one more mention. You two are radio hosts. Simmer Down Radio. Yeah. Oh, we haven't recorded anything in a while. Well, maybe this will light a little fire. My co-host is Brenda Anderson is fantastic. I just She tells me what our topic is, and we just go and okay. shoot the shit about it. More power to food radio. Thank you. Proliferate. Thanks Libby for Sim- having me. This thanks, was fun. Thanks for being on. Everyone should run out. Get sweet and vicious, bacon with attitude. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.